today we've acquired uh, uh, really one of the great players in Major League Baseball, Francisco uh, Lindor um, from Cleveland, as well as an outstanding starting pitcher in Carlos Carrasco. Um, they did not come cheaply. We've given up some very good players uh, to Cleveland in return for Lindor and Carrasco. Uh, Ahmed Rosario, who's you know been a Met for a long time, uh, I'd say eight or nine years. He's only uh, 25 or so, but if you think about when he became uh, part of the Mets organization, it's been a long time. The same is true with uh, Andres Jimenez. Uh, they've bo both been excellent players for us. Um, we think they have excellent futures, uh, and they've represented the organization well. Um, we've also given up two prospects, Josh Wolf, a right-handed pitcher, and Isaiah Green, an outfielder. Um, we're very excited about this, and um, um, I think the two players coming from Cleveland are as well. Uh, they've spent a lot of time in Cleveland, and so there were mixed emotions, but I think they're excited about coming to New York, and hopefully you'll get a chance to talk to them in the next few days. Um, this deal has been in the works for a long time. Uh, I mean, we've been talking since way before the break, um, really since – close to the beginning of the off season, uh, just staying in touch, but it did come to, um, came to a head here in the last uh, couple of days, I'd say starting Monday. Hi, Mets fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And we are here with an emergency podcast. Ding, 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 ding. Because earlier today, the Mets in Cleveland pulled off a trade for uh, to, to bring um, Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco to the Mets. The Mets in return sent off two low-level prospects, as well as Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez. Um, there's a lot to unpack here. Let's just start by saying that Francisco Lindor has been coveted by the Mets fan, fan base, and specifically Amazing Avenue, for how many years now? <laughs> yeah, uh... Well, first up, holy shit. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, he's he's been, I think, on the radar, especially in this corner of Mets fandom on the internet. Uh, not, not saying that others haven't <laughs> realized how good he is, but goddamn. You know, this is a legitimately great shortstop who hit – 33, 38, and 32 home runs three years running before 2020's shortened season. And uh, is is a not not a massive stolen base threat, but a, a guy who will steal you some bases, hit for power, and play great defense at shortstop, and he's 27 years old. And he like he just turned 27. He's 27 years old for this entire season. You don't get this often. No. No, you do not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it. I was old enough to appreciate the Mike Piazza trade 
Definitely. Same. Yeah. But it, it feels like, and this was something I was, I'm still sort of debating in my head. Is this an even bigger deal than the Johan Santana trade? Is this the biggest uh, trade for a major league superstar that the Mets have made since Piazza? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, and I love Johan, so it's like it's no disrespect to him or that trade, you know? Well, okay. Is it unfair to say it depends how the Mets do? Like, I think that part of the Piazza trade was that he instantly brought the Mets from a, a team that wasn't really considered to a playoff team or a near playoff team for the first was it four years that he was there? They either made the playoffs or just missed the playoffs? 98, 99, 2000, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that checks out in my memory. So, you know, the Mets did not make the playoffs, even though it was the easiest uh, playoff chances they'll ever have. They did not make the playoffs this past year. So if they make the playoffs the next three or four years, then that's more than Santana did for the team in terms of team performance. You know, I think Santana's no-hitter holds a very special place for all of us. Um, all of us, you know. But I think that in terms of what it does for the team, what, I mean, Santana had a couple of brilliant games. That that uh, penultimate game in, was it 07? No, 08. The penultimate yeah, 08. game in 08, um, you know. Man, 07 was the John Main one hitter. Next year yeah. was the Santana one hitter. One hitter, if two only, hitter. I forget. I forget too. It was a great performance. My point, yeah. If only those two seasons were just a couple games short, or, or you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if they just didn't have to play the last one, right? Exactly. Um, but so like you know, those are great games. But ultimately, the, the Mets as a franchise, I don't know. I also don't know if Santana led to anybody else coming to the Mets. Like I feel like when Piazza came to the Mets, it was the sign that the Mets were open for business and other players took the Mets more seriously because of that. Right. Did Santana really do that? Hmm. I don't know. I, I It felt like he was added as a, a logical, you know, missing piece. Right. B- based on how they had experienced uh, the you know how their seasons came to an end in 2006 and 7 uh that team was so well established and it's funny because the the current Mets have lots of really good players but they are not coming off and I know some Mets fans might not say 2007 was a success at all but that was still a good baseball team you know yes. that's 2006 was great 2007 was still very good until the end um, and you, you had a incredibly talented roster and Santana was added to that. So, uh, it's funny when you frame it that way, it, it's, I don't mean to leave Cespedes out of this trade conversation, but in the line of thinking that you're using Cespedes goes down as one of the greatest trades they've made because of what yeah. he did after he got here. Um, and he was well known, but he just was not on a 1998 Mike Piazza, 2008 Johan Santana, or 2021 Francisco Lindor level of of player. You know that he was that level of player, uh, 
when healthy for the Mets, yes, you know, yes. the, to, and all that. But at the time they made the trade, it was like, okay, this is this is good. You know, I'm excited. And then he took us on that that ride. Um, if the Cespedes trade happened like a year and a half earlier, it would have felt Piazza big. But his yeah. his his star had diminished a little bit by that point. Right, and then he just absolutely <laughs> like reinvigorated his that 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 whole profile, you know. Yeah. If they had traded for him right after the home run derby when he was just cranking home runs into the upper deck of City Field like it was nothing, exactly. That may have felt even bigger. Uh, and also the sequence of events that led up to trading for him was the most insane thing that that I think you could <laughs> right ever exactly. make up. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I would I would firmly believe that. Yeah. So, I mean, look, even if it's we can only really go by the players that we remember in our lifetimes. Right. I know that the Keith trade. I know that the Gary Carter trade. These are these are huge moments for Mets fans. We were too young to appreciate those moments. You know, Piazza was the first one that I can recall, like stopping and taking notice. You know, oh, this is a really big deal. My team traded for Mike Piazza. And then, like you said, uh, Santana. Cespedes. I don't know if there's anybody else that that even feels. I mean, Carlos Delgado was the last piece of that puzzle, mm-hmm. but that didn't feel the same way. <clears throat> right. No. That that, and it also felt like correcting an error. Yes. Since they had tried to sign him the previous off season, and sort of rubbed him the wrong way when <laughs> when they tried to do it. And then he goes and signs with the Marlins, and they recover and and you know get him get him back and bring him in. And I I, I think he's one of the more underrated Mets uh, of of that era, and and kind of in team history. I know he wasn't on the team for that long, but um, you know we we celebrate John Olerud, who was a brief but excellent Met, and I think Delgado wasn't quite that good. Uh, just overall, because Olerud was an excellent defender on top of being a good hitter, but right, you know, I think I think you could make a comparison between the two, given their time with the team and the fact that they were very good and they both played first base. Yeah, but, that's uh, an excellent point. I've strayed from our our favorite new shortstop. <laughs> no, but, but let's just <laughs> but let's say this, okay? Neither the Piazza trade nor the Santana trade nor the Cespedes trade, had a kicker the level of Carlos Carrasco. Right. Even if if it was a straight trade for Lindor, if, if this exact trade happened for just Lindor, I'd have thought it was a fair trade. Oh, yeah. And that is uh, Ahmed Rosario has has been a, uh, a fun player to watch, and he's done good things. He hasn't you know, he hasn't risen to that next tier or two tiers up or anything like that. But, um, you know, he, he's been enjoyable if occasionally frustrating. Um, Andres Jimenez is somebody who, you know, at spring training last year caught our eyes, uh, and, and was a lot of fun to watch in this short season. But even without Carrasco, I, I, do this exact trade without hesitating at all. 
so I, I had texted my brother. There's about five Mets fans in my life who I will text as soon as a Mets thing happened, just kind of get their opinion about stuff, you know. And when I texted my brother, he said, like, oh, man, that's amazing. But he said, I was looking forward to watching Jimenez grow up. And I totally yeah. get that. I 100% get that. But what I said was that Jimenez's best outcome is probably Lindor. Oh, yeah. Absolute that's like best. The... 100% the best, right? And yeah. So... I, I'd, I'd say that's like his 125th <laughs> right. percentile outcome. <laughs> right. You know, and, and I said, you know, Jimenez is going to be a real good shortstop for them. And that's that's a great. I, I wish that I will, I will root for him for the rest of his life. That's That's awesome. I, he, mm-hmm. he was a he was a great player and all that. The Mets got the one of the five best players in baseball, who is twenty seven years old, who is at a premium position. They got them without touching their top five prospects, or touching anybody who was unre- who was re- who was not easily replaced by Lindor. Right. Like there's not a hole in the roster, thanks to Lindor, thanks to that, that trade. There's not, and that's insane. Yeah, and and I think it was interesting when it came up, um, in the press conference that Sandy Alderson and Jared Porter had today, just to announce the trade and take questions. That there was a question about infield depth. You know, all right, you've got Lindor, and and I forget who asked the question and. They weren't downplaying Lindor. They were just bringing up basically that they had traded away two shortstops who, you know, have shown they could play at the major league level. Um, Granted, Rosario's been there for a lot, you know, a lot more of it. But asked about that. Okay, you've you've traded away two major league infielders. Um, Lindor is great, but is, is that infield depth? something that is on your mind and Alderson answered by just bringing up, you know, there's this guy named Guillaume and he's pretty versatile. Uh, basically saying that he could, he could serve that role um, without them having to go outside the organization to specifically address that, uh, you know, whether it's short, second, third base. Uh, and I, I think, Guillaume's breakout uh, as a hitter kind of helps you be a little more comfortable with that aspect of things. Absolutely. And and the other part of this that I think people aren't really talking about is that uh, Ronnie Mauricio is the Mets' best prospect, according to Amazing Avenue, and he's a shortstop. Pretty pretty good source. Yeah, uh... (laughs) exactly. So, you know, if if you are – if you're worried that Lindor is not going to sign with with us, which I – I truly hope that they extend Lindor, and I think it would be a it's a worse trade if Lindor doesn't resign. It's not a bad trade; it's a worse trade if Lindor doesn't resign. But even if the worst case scenario happens, you still have Ronnie Mauricio. Yeah, that's, yeah, no, and that's better than a lot of teams would be right now. Right. Yeah, no. The fact the fact that they didn't have to trade away any of of their really top tier prospects. Um, and that's no knock on on Josh Wolf or Isaiah Green, who admittedly I have not seen play myself, but I trust Same. I trust our crew when it comes to writing about these guys, and and especially in, a, in an off season when none of these guys played competitive baseball uh, in any way that 
the public could observe or, or, you know, it was just a totally thrown off year for player development and all that. So to be able to piece that stuff together and, and still work off what you, what you have and what you know, um, I think it's something they deserve a lot of credit for. And, you know, it, if those guys become good players, that's, that's fine. Um, and I'm with you. Cleveland's going to be awful. If anything, I feel a little bit bad for, for Rosario and Jimenez that like, uh, I hope you grow and succeed and, and all that, but you're, you're going to a bad team, you know, an intentionally bad team. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but yeah, no, it, and listening to Alderson today, I think he usually keeps things pretty, uh, I don't think vague is the right word, but he's guarded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even in his answers about an extension, which were like among the first questions that he got, he said that you know, right now we, we got him for one year. We're focused on, on, on that fact, uh, you know, but over the next few weeks, we'd ex- we'd expect, obviously, we would try to make him a Met for the long term. It, it's a, um, it's definitely like I said, it's a better situation if they're able to sign him long term. But even if they don't, I mean, yes, they have him for one year, and it would be a real bummer to watch him walk. Uh, they have Carrasco for two years and then an option year. And, again, a starting pitcher of Carrasco is not Jacob deGrom. But he sure as shit ain't Steven Matz either. It's it's a legitimate mid-to-back-end-of-the-rotation starter who you can count on, who seems like a good dude, who has an amazing story. You know, that's the kind of guy you want to root for. To get two, possibly three years of that guy and a year of, of Lindor... I, I don't know how people are down on this trade. And go to the comments at amazingnavigator.com. Some people are down on this trade. Really? Yes. Really? How? They're saying we overpaid. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. You, you have independent takes out there from, from people who um, you know are reporting from people who work in front offices and everything, uh, basically saying, like, oh, the Mets got him for free. You know, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, no, I, 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 I understand being attached to the players that have played for your team and that you root for. 100%. But there is just no rational way to think that the Mets overpaid, unless you really believe, and I don't know how you could believe this, unless you really believe that Jimenez is on a better career path than Lindor. Mm-hmm. There is no way to justify that that take to me. Right. <clears throat> look, war isn't everything, but it's a nice quick way to look and go like, yes. dude, in a full season, has never been below four wins above replacement on fan graphs. And he posted that 4.0 in his rookie season where he only played in 99 games. Yep. And he's been that or better every year. And to be able to get that caliber of play, even this year, where he was only 
by weighted runs created plus only a league average hitter, which is his, you know, his worst season. Granted, it was a, a third of a season uh, as a major league hitter. Even with that, he came in at 1.7. You know, so even at that rate, he was still a very valuable player uh, with with a slight dip in his, you know, his production at the plate. Still hit eight home runs. Still stole a few bases. Um, you know, this this is somebody who has been consistently excellent at a premium position. It's what you, you know, it's what you want more than anything. And yeah. if you had it, I, I look, the Mets could still bring in somebody else who you could say that about if they sign George Springer uh, or make another move that we aren't even thinking about yet. But if you had told me I had a choice, um, Rail Muto, a, a catcher, Lindor at shortstop, Springer in center, um, and maybe Arenado at third. I love Nolan Arenado, and I, I, I may have picked him out of, out of those four, if you could tell me I only had one. But it would have been between him and Lindor. Uh, uh, no doubt. And, like, all four of those players are, are great players. But not all four of them are potentially one of the five best players in Major League Baseball right now. Yep. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I don't know I don't know how else to say the things that we keep saying over and over again. This is a really good deal. This is a really really good trade. And if somehow the Mets are able to extend him and extend him at a um you know at, at, at a market rate or something that doesn't feel like a big like an overpay and fuck it. If it's an overpay, it's not my money. I have to get out of this <laughs> mindset. Like uh, being raised on a cheap Wilpon team has convinced me that I have to care about budget. I don't have to care. Fucking Sandy Alderson said today, like, yeah, we're, we're cognizant of the luxury tax, but I wouldn't say we can't go over it. Like, why right. do I give a shit if they, if they overpay Lindor? I don't. Right. Uh, the, the, a guy with a whole lot of money, who loves the Mets, bought the Mets. Uh, and I, I know people might have read a little too hard into like the, oh, we're not going to spend like drunken sailors comments from earlier this offseason. And if anything, this is like the perfect statement. And, and look, they haven't signed the extension yet. But we've seen this template. You know, he said, we want to be the Dodgers East. The Dodgers took advantage of the Red Sox deciding to lose. Yep. And traded for Mookie Betts and sent I, I I don't know the Dodgers overall organization well enough, but I think the Dodgers gave up a little bit more for Mookie Betts than the Mets gave up for Lindor today. But Probably, it's it's, com yeah. it's comparable. I you know, I it, it comes down to how you feel about the the prospects who were involved in each deal um or uh, Jimenez is technically not a prospect, but he he might as well be, sure. you know. He he's so young, uh, and he just established himself at the major league level to the point that, um, you know, but <laughs> I think if, if the Mets had done nothing, they would have wanted, uh, the average Mets fan would have wanted him to be at shortstop to start the season. 
and not really cared what Rosario was doing. Um, so to, yeah, to, to be in that spot and to have a person who has that kind of money. And if they're, if the template is just, Hey, Mookie Betts, Francisco Lindor, uh, neither one of them is Mike Trout, but it's, it's hard to, you, you know, there's, there's a, there's an upper, upper echelon that is below best baseball player in history, but is still really, really good. Um, and yeah, if they want to pay him 30 million a year for 10 years, you know, on average, including this season, once they work out an extension, that is fine. <laughs> you know, uh, it, I, I don't like to give too much, uh, you know, it is just sports after all. Right. But I, I don't, I don't want to say that like Mets fans are, have been neglected and abused and all that kind of stuff and, and be over the top about it. But you could not have a harder turnaround than this. Right. And I, and I think the fact, look, I I'd prefer JT real Muto to, um, to James McCann. Yep. Sure. Of course I would, but to come into an off season and say, look, we're, we're going to be willing to spend money. We're also going to try to make smart decisions and balance out a, a, an organization that's going to be good for a long time uh, on a regular basis. These are the types of actions that that signal that. Um, taking advantage of the situation when it's there, and you know, free agency could also provide that in the next few weeks because so many teams are looking to not spend money coming off of last year. Um, you know, whether you want to believe what they say about the money they lost or not, a lot of them are, are using that uh, as a reason to not spend money. So, yeah. I, I We were talking about it today, and my, my wife is not a diehard baseball fan by any means, but, you know, I would... I was just saying, like, it's to to go from a mindset and, and to touch on what you said, uh, you know, about being stuck in, like, being raised on that willpon own mindset. Uh, if the Mets traded for Mookie Betts a, a, a year ago or a year and three months ago, or when Steve Cohen was completely not even known to be part of the equation, if the Mets did exactly what the Dodgers did with Betts, and then his extension and the Wilpons were still there, I'd say like 60% of Mets fans would have been upset. Because it because they'd be concerned that, oh no, this big contract and that's gonna, you know, it's gonna be doomed down the road when Jeff Wilpon's in charge and they're, you know, and all that. Um, I, I really think that, you know, if people, if some Mets fans can find a way to complain about this trade, uh, I, I think they would have, you know, absolutely lost it if the Wilpons were still in charge and they made the bet straight itself or this one and followed it up with an extension like that. It's crazy to say that, but I think you're right. Yeah. Um, like, and, and, you know, 
baseball and sports have done a really good job of getting fans really obsessed with contracts and payroll and all that. And look, we write about it a lot. We talk about it. It's it's part of being a fan on like on a on a engaged level, especially on the internet, but even just sports talk radio, you know, what a guy makes is something that people talk about. Yep. Um, and as a fan, the only thing you should care about is, oh, my favorite team got one of the best players there is. Like that is, that is awesome. That, that should really be the level that like we stop at. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I, I was thinking about this today. I was trying to think of like what would make people not complain about this. Right. And I, I could, I could totally understand five years from now if you someone had a crystal ball and it showed how how great um, Jimenez is going to be and that Lindor basically fell off a cliff. It is totally within your rights as a fan to say the Mets should have never made that trade. But as of today, I legitimately can't think of why you wouldn't like this trade. I unless you feel that that Jimenez would give the same level of production as Lindor but for a fraction of the cost I still don't <laughs> they they also have Carrasco I just I just I can't it really it really drives me crazy that people aren't happy about this yeah. uh, in this case I, I would think that it's very much the minority um, you know, and and like you said, to have Carrasco as like the kicker is just uh, it, it's insane. This is a solid starting pitcher, um, you know, who who's pitched well in the American League, uh, and is joining a Mets team that had a, a fairly glaring hole or two in its rotation yeah um you know to to start to think and look any baseball fan i know sometimes as mets fans we feel like the mets have had more injuries than other teams and then maybe objectively in some cases they have but any baseball fan knows that there's some degree of uncertainty with with pitching Uh, and, and pitcher health, it's just the nature of how it goes. Um, but to sit here and think like, Hmm, if Syndergaard is back in June or July, like who's the Mets fourth starter? Uh, is it Syndergaard? Is it Carrasco? Is it Marcus Stroman? That's like all three of those guys could be the best pitcher on a starting rotation or in a starting rotation on a team without Jacob deGrom. Those three guys are vying for the best starting, starting pitcher position. Right. Yeah. I did love one Stroman. Uh, <laughs> he tweeted a lot of exciting, you know, just he was living the trade news. Like, like fans were on Twitter uh, at the time. So I was, I was loving that just sort of live enthusiasm from him. Uh and I also saw that he had responded to somebody, you know, specifically with Carrasco coming in and, and sort of thinking on, you know, along these lines of what, what the rotation order is. And Stroman's response was like, uh, 
uh, you can tell me I'm whatever number pitcher. I'm still going to make the same number of starts. My job's still to go pitch. You know, I don't, you know, nobody should really care. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is a totally, I love that mindset and it's, it's, it's totally fair. I doubt that um, every major league pitcher thinks like that, but, <laughs> but I, but I do love that mindset and, and, you know, it's so it it's fun to rank things. We do it with, you know, with sports is a little easier because it's objective. You know, you can you can use your favorite stats and support your case and rank things that way. With art, it's a little a lot more subjective. But we like to rank things. There's something that that as humans, that's just part of what we like to do. But if you tell me any one of those three pitchers was the fourth starter on the team, that's uh, that's a pretty good place to be in. And, you know, they, they still have to bridge a gap depending on when exactly the season starts. Uh, and, and you can't guarantee that Syndergaard comes back, at, you know, right. on time, fully effective, all that. Um, so I, I still think there's more to do. But to at least say you have DeGrom, Stroman, Carrasco – Peterson and then you know Matt's is still in the fold at least for now um it, it starts to feel a lot a lot closer to complete yeah I mean at one point um somebody asked Alderson today you know in the fall you said you weren't one player away are you one player away now and he said no but we're closer to being one player away you know, and I, I mean, if they sign Springer, first of all, I cannot imagine, again, imagine the Wilpons in an offseason getting you Carrasco, Lindor, Trevor May, James McCann, George Springer. Right. That, that, that just, that's, that's not in our, that's not in our, in our language. It's not in our lexicon, right? We can, we can't, we're, we're just not used to this. No. <laughs> um, we're just not, and and the fact that they're going to do it, and that doesn't mean that they can't do something at the trade deadline. It doesn't mean they can't do more next off season. It, it's just this is an excellent off. This will if, and I, I still don't think Springer is necessarily like a shoe in, just because you you can't predict these things, right? But if if Springer shows up with the, with the Mets, hot damn man, yeah. Yeah, no, and I mean, if I'm looking at the rest of my off-season wish list, um, a little more, you know, a little more help in the bullpen would be good. Um, another starting pitcher to come in, so you 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 know <clears throat> have better options until Syndergaard is back, uh, or at least more options until that happens. You know, those are things that I'd love to see uh, Springer or or not. Um, but Jared it's a lot. Porter, of... Jared Porter keeps saying there's no such thing as too much pitching. He wants right. depth, depth, depth. So I think you are going to see some of those moves. Yeah, at the very least, I would assume. Uh, you know, some guys who might not be in a spot where they're at the top of the free agent market, but. Uh, are, are guys who have a track record of success and are guys who you 
you know, might be able to bring in on either a low commitment or a, you know, minor league deal with an invitation to spring training, that kind of thing. Um, that could be good. And you could just sign a, a pitcher who's an established, pretty good starter, uh, who isn't going to make 20, 25, $30 million a year, but is somebody who can help you, um, just get those innings and get that level of staying in a game uh, and, and being a competitive pitcher that an offense that has, I mean, damn, the Conforto, uh, Conforto, Alonzo, McNeil, Lindor, um, Brandon Nimmo's a hell of a hitter, you know. J.D. Davis, Dom Smith. James right. McCann. Yeah. And and to feel like McCann's maybe your weak link there, but is still a good hitter for his position and is not really that weak of a weak link. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's definitely still taking some adjust, uh, adjustment, but damn, this is this is nice. <laughs> yeah. And, and just to, to sort of put a pin in something you were saying a minute ago, I feel like due to every team in baseball not named the Mets crying poverty and due to the weirdness of last year not necessarily showing teams what they had all the time, I would not be shocked if there are going to, there's going to be some serious good good deals the Mets can get towards the beginning of spring training for guys that – if the if this was last off season, would have signed way earlier and for way more. I, I think that there's going to be some real bargain shopping to be done, and while the Mets don't need to be bargain shoppers as much anymore, if they can keep, if they the only reason I care about payroll flexibility is just so if there's a player they want to get, they have the option to go out and get that person. So if if they are able to make some smart low key signings and preserve some of that elusive payroll flexibility, then I am that I don't know. I don't know how I could be happier with the off season. I mean, yes, I'd rather rail Muto, but if rail Muto precludes Lindor, then I don't want rail Muto anymore. <laughs> McCann and Lindor is better than rail Muto without Lindor. And I don't oh. know who could disagree with me about that. Yeah, uh, unquestionably. So, yeah. Oh, and one one other thing, just because his name came up. Uh, Trevor May, also fun to see him reacting as this trade was happening. Um, someone who pitched for the Twins for his entire career while Lindor played for the Indians for his. Uh, ah, man, damn it. I didn't want to say. <laughs> I'm trying to only call him Cleveland. I even said this in... Yep. Uh, <laughs> have it. I tried the same thing, man. I, I think I fucked up the show too. So <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, we're trying Cleveland, folks. Cleveland. Uh, so anyways, Trevor may tweeted that like, and it was before it was official, but it was about to be, uh, and he tweeted something along the lines of like, Oh, this would mean I don't have to, I don't get to face him. And that's very cool with me, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Um, it, that kind of stuff is, is fun. And the fact that a couple of, I mean, May is obviously a, a brand new addition to the team. Um, 
And Strowman, it's not that he hasn't been around, around for a little while. He has. But still, a couple of relatively recent additions to the team being those personalities on, online um, and being excited and, and being out there and just into it in a way. Uh, I think that is important. It's not as important as building a, a good team uh, that, that wins games. That's ultimately what's going to make Mets fans the happiest. But it's a really nice bonus to have some players who are online and, and in a way that a lot of fans, especially the ones that listen to this show and read the site and all that, are. Yeah, 100%. So aside from a little bit of starting pitching depth, aside from uh, George Springer perhaps, or I mean – I. The, the the drop off after Springer is pretty severe. Uh, how do you how would you feel? Just we're not going to spend too much time on this about someone like a Jackie Bradley Jr. How would you feel about him on the Mets? Um, he wouldn't. I it, that it's an interesting question that I have. <laughs> that our minds are so geared in in, in into like oh yeah. Uh, the best of the best are on the table now, but he is a solid player. I think he's someone who you'd want to have realistic expectations about. Um, and I think that's important with any player to have expectations that are realistic for who that player is. Um, lest you end up being a disappointed uh, fan, but you know, he's, he's solid uh he can certainly play center field um he's not going to embarrass himself at the plate you know that if they made more significant additions elsewhere on the roster and signed him and if it meant that Bradley was playing not as much as if if it was Springer you'd want him out there 100 you know, 150, 160 games, whatever the, you know, whatever the most was that made sense to keep him on the field and healthy. Um, if it was Bradley, I think then you start to work in a little bit more of like, all right, well, he can play center and maybe he's not out there as frequently as that, but uh, other players, Dom Smith, for example, J.D. Davis. Uh, Brandon Nemo. Right. They they can uh, you know they can get more time at the plate. They're all very good hitters. You know that can be a benefit of it. I you know I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be thrilled if that was the route they tried you know, that they decided to take. But you could make an argument that you could have a very good Mets team if they signed him. Uh, and, and had him as their at least first option in center field. Yeah, I, I feel pretty much the same way. I would hope you know. I don't. I don't know how much of this is real. I, I know you always hear like. Um, I mean, like Stroman basically said one of the main reasons he was coming back to the Mets was because Cohen, you know, got him excited. But also, he opted out last season. He had an offer on the table. Who knows what he would have gotten. Um, my point for saying that is that 
I think that you always hear about guys being excited by a team's free agent signing and that impacting their decision to go play there. I think most of that is bullshit, to be honest with you. I I don't think that people make decisions that will literally cost them or make them dozens or hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't think that any of that is thought about necessarily. Well, ooh, this team added this shiny new part, so I'm going to go there even though it's a worse deal, right? But I think that if all things are equal, you know, the, the rumor is that the Blue Jays are the other team that are heavy on Springer. And it, it, if if you're Springer and you see, okay, well, the Mets added Lindor and Carrasco and James McCann, like, well, that's that's a that's a pretty solid addition, a series of additions to the team. Maybe that does make some sort of impact on on Springer, um, and so maybe this maybe this move in a way actually will lead to Springer signing more so than you know, and then you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> maybe this is a good thing in the Springer pursuit, and if that's the case, great. But I also think that. Bradley would probably be nowhere near the player that Springer would be, but probably wouldn't be a catastrophe either, which is exactly what you said. I don't know why I'm even talking, because you said all this already. Um, But yeah, bring on Springer, though. Uh, As much as it pains me to be rooting for the Mets to sign an Astro after the recent history with the Astros, uh, you know, bring on Springer. Yeah. Do you think Mets fans would have any problem with Springer because of his Astro history? Hmm. <clears throat> I feel like that could. Uh, I mean, I've thought about it myself too. You know, this was someone who, just before the pandemic hit in in the United States, um, in, in a way that we all knew about um this was someone who was one of the guys getting booed like crazy for that involvement you know this one of the most prominent players on a team that was exposed for having done this and won a world series in the process and uh yeah but so much has happened in baseball and not baseball uh since then i don't know i i, I feel like the combination of the world over the last nine to ten months, plus the fact that he would not be the biggest acquisition of the offseason. I, I feel like he could sort of fly under the radar. Um, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean that like if he if he's ice cold for a week, there's not going to be a hundred people at City Field yelling at him to like go find a trash can because. <laughs> That'll happen. Let's be real. There's there will be Mets fans who who aren't like oh they overpaid for Lindor who just don't like him. They will exist, and that's insane. But with with Springer, I, I'd imagine it would kind of be like okay he comes in, he's another piece of this insane, uh, just awesome version of the Mets. Uh, and he'd probably get a pass, but you know, struggle for a week or a month or a year or anything like that, and then people will rip rip right into that. So, 
Yeah, I don't know. Do you think it'd be any any more immediate, or like maybe he gets booed for a couple of weeks and then then he hits a home run and everybody's happy? I mean, I I think that part of this is that I'm just I'm cursed with Mets brain, right? Where free agent signings oftentimes don't work out, but. I mean, imagine if if the Mets signed him and he's basically Jason Bay Part Two. And sometimes that happens, and those free agent signings just don't work out. But Mets fans would go apoplectic if they sign him and and he has a and he has a real bad season or two. They would just lose their shit forever. And uh, you know, do I think that that's an over an overreaction? Yes, I do. But I can also sort of understand it because I think this is one of those deals that I think if everybody was really using their brain and wasn't thinking as a fan at all, it's probably not the worst thing in the world if none of those Astros got contracts again. Maybe right. that would teach people to not do this. And look, I'm not trying to be holier than now. People cheat all the time. I'm sure the Mets in the same time span cheated in ways we don't know about. And I'm not trying to make our team sound high and mighty compared to another team. I, I'm not saying that at all. But I do think that the game is probably better if teams aren't doing that. And so, you know, on one hand, if the, if the deal goes poorly... I think you never hear the end of it for for the length of the contract and beyond. I mean, fuck, I haven't invoked the name of Jason Bay over this. One of the worst free agent signings of our tenure of being, you know, serious Mets fans. I, I might as well just say Mo Vaughn, right? Uh, and, and so our memories are long. And so I think there are people who are who will never get over this. But I think that if he's halfway decent if, he, if he's what we think he is Mets fans will get over it people like to win more than they like to bitch and moan although with Mets yeah. fans it's probably pretty close to be fair <laughs> uh, yeah yeah well um, let's talk about music for a minute before we get out of here Chris what is your music pick for this week so at the beginning of uh, the surprise episode <laughs> a ple- very pleasant surprise. Um, my goal was to not recommend a band who I've recommended previously. So I think I'm meeting that requirement, even though this is uh, a member of a band who I've certainly recommended on here before is on this album. Uh, but Mike Watt of the Minutemen has, you know, obviously uh, he had established himself as a legend as part of the Minutemen. Uh, but in the post Minutemen career that he's had uh, since D Boone's tragic death, when, when they were all, you know, much, much younger and far too young to lose, to lose him. Uh, Watt has made a whole lot of music and played with a whole lot of people. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. He's the most uh, like six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of guy that there is, but he, he's one he's of the linchpins if you're going to do that kind of thing. So all of that said, he made a record that I think came out in 1995 uh, called Contemplating the Engine Room. Uh, and Nels Klein of 
Wilco fame. Uh, oh, sorry, 1997. Uh, I was close. Um, but Nels of Wilco fame is on guitar on the record. Uh, that combination is sort of, you know, like if you if you dream up your favorite musicians on different instruments and what would they sound like together, uh, it's a fun thing to think about. And rarely do you get a chance to take some of your favorites and go, oh, they actually made a record together. And Klein and Watt have made other music together too. Um, but I just, I love this record. <laughs> it, it, it's one to uh, get back to. You know, it's definitely not the first thing that I listened to from either of those two artists, but uh, getting back into it, you know, or going back to it after falling in love with so much of the other music that they both had made uh, was was pretty great. I think a few years back when I when I first really heard the record, um, the third track on it is called the Blue Jackets Manual, and it's it just rips. It's so good. Uh, and during that winter, I was like really into uh, whatever the current NHL game was on PS4 and those games always let you like import MP3s and customize. So like your arena music could be all stuff that you wanted to do or you wanted to hear. So like that was the song that I had in in regular rotation as I was playing that game, uh, which is a a unique thing uh, to to sort of connect it to. Uh, But it was just, I don't know. It, yeah, it's it's the best to have Watts sort of unique style of lyrics and vocals, uh, his excellent bass playing, and then Klein's very unique style of playing guitar and put them together and have it come out like, damn, that was, you know, that's great. Uh, that's that's all you can ask for when you when you put that kind of thing together. So, yeah, there you have it. Do you have Watt's first solo record, Ballhogger Tugboat? Uh, yes, I have it in uh, some form. Probably, okay. I think just digital, but yeah. yeah. That record, um, I remember being in middle school when that came out, and this is how different the world was in the 90s, kids. Um, that like There was a song from that record called Against the 70s, which has Dave Grohl on drums and Eddie Vedder on lead vocals. That was like a bona fide like alternative rock radio hit. So I remember hearing that it was billed as Mike Watt and friends on the radio because, you know, no one, the, the, the average, you know, listener of 92.3 K rock probably wasn't familiar with the Minutemen, but here's this guy, this punk rock guy who managed to get the, the two surviving members of Nirvana flee pretty much all of dinosaur junior, all of Sonic youth, um, you know, Frank Black, uh, Bernie Worrell from Parliament Funkadelic. Uh, and the Talking Heads. Yeah, and the Talking Heads. Um, <laughs> you know, like He got all these people to play on this record, and each track, he calls it the wrestling record, because each track is a completely different lineup for the most part. Um, and that's when I first heard Nels Klein, actually, on that record. And mm. uh, so I, I've owned that record since probably 95 or whatever it came out. I probably bought it the year it came out. And I, I I love 
that that record. Uh, kind of in the engine room is great too, but the first one I usually reach for is um, is Ball Hog or Tugboat, and that makes for a really good transition. This was not planned, but I'm going to talk about an artist, uh, a, a band that features an artist that was on Ball Hog or Tugboat. Um, nice. See the the degrees of what exactly the degrees of what uh, <laughs> absolutely. So um, uh, I was telling Chris beforehand. I, you know, I, I try and pick a lot of a lot of stuff I haven't talked about before, but I have picked another album by this band, and I have picked two solo records by the singer of this band. So this is definitely my most picked band in the Amazing Avenue audio era of music recommendations, um, and that band is the Pixies. Um, I have been on a big Pixies kick the last few weeks, and specifically I've been on a kick for their record Bossa Nova, which just turned 30 uh, last year. And Bossa Nova is the most uh, surf music inspired one. We talked about surf a little bit last time. It's the most, it's the surfiest of the Pixies records. It's also the one where I feel like um, they were, they were kind of, I don't want to say messing with the formula because the, the the first two Pixies records, it's hard to really identify a formula on them, but they were growing. Like I, there was a bunch of interviews from the time where people say, like, so, so for instance, the singer now goes back by Black Francis, but when he's in the Pixies, he's Black Francis. When he's solo, he's Frank Black. And so there are a bunch of interviews with Black Francis where he was pissed off that a bunch of reviewers said like, hey, this guy can sing. And he's like, I've been singing on two fucking albums already. What are you talking about? But like his, his vocals are, are noticeably less screamy on this they're a little bit more melodic uh the one demerit i will give this record is that this is where the production begins to sound really dated like their their first couple of records steve albini did the first one surfer rosa their first full length they have an ep before that who cares uh steve albini did one and it sounds like a steve albini record which is to say it sounds really good um and then gil norton produced the rest of the records and the first one gil norton did was called do a little and that one doesn't sound terribly dated. This record, a lot of gated drums. Uh, you know, the guitars are a little bit more processed than than I would like if I if I were to produce the album today. But I think that song wise, it, it might be their strongest record. And uh, this is where they get really pretty, but also really aggressive. Uh, the second song is called Rock Music, and it's basically just. Black Francis screaming for two minutes. And the last song is called Havelina, which is this beautiful acoustic surf song. It just gives you all the moods in between. And uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's not the, the Pixies made one more record with their original lineup and then split up. But that last record really feels like a Frank Black solo album. This feels like the last true like Pixies collaboration record of the original era. So uh, that's my pick, Boston Over by the Pixies. Nice. Look at us, a couple of 90s kids picking yeah. some 90s records this, this week. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, oh, uh, one one more little note on the, on the what side of things. Sure. Uh, there's the There was a recent release of uh, Ringspiel 95 yes. like, live tour. Yes. And one, it's, it's fun to listen to. It's it, uh, all that. But uh, two, if you find videos of that lineup playing, Eddie Vedder is just like rhythm guitarist. <laughs> yep. And I like Pearl Jam, and I like Eddie Vedder. Uh, I've seen Pearl Jam a bunch of times, but it's just amazing. The <laughs> dude is just like, and he was already pretty big at the time, and dude is just like playing guitar over there as that, Mike Watt is, yeah. is the front man. That, that uh, was the and, first Foo Fighters tour. 
Oh, was was it? Yeah, that was the deal. Is that the Foo, uh, uh, Vetter had a side project called Hovercraft, uh-huh. and the deal was that Hovercraft and Foo Fighters would open if they would be Watts' backing band for the tour. Nice. So first band was Hovercraft, <laughs> which is Eddie Vedder's like side project. I don't, I don't think Vedder sang in that necessarily. I think someone else maybe sang in Hovercraft. But then you got mm. the, the first ever Foo Fighters tour, and then the members of Hovercraft and Foo Fighters would come on and off the stage over the course of the night to play with Watt. So Grohl played drums sometimes. William Goldsmith, the first Foo Fighter drummer, played drums a little bit. Um, you know, I think the only person who probably didn't do anything is Nate Mendel, the bass player for the Foo Fighters. He probably just, you know sat around backstage or whatever but yeah right uh that's one of those tours that i wish i wish like 13 year old brian could have convinced his parents to let him go see <laughs> nice i saw the foo fighters like two years later in 97 it was one of my first concerts that was 15 and uh yeah but i wish i could have seen watt and uh and foo fighters that would have been pretty insane yeah um but yeah definitely check out the videos for that for that show for that tour rather it is pretty crazy to think that first of all, I feel like stuff like that just doesn't happen anymore. Also um, like having, having a, a really famous person just like sitting with your band for a whole tour. Right. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. Welcome to the Mets, Carlos Carrasco and Francisco Lindor. We are super happy to have you. Uh, let, let me just say, this is an open invitation for either of those guys to come on the podcast. Sure. Uh, yeah. You want to come on and chat? Uh, just bring a music rec and we're good. Um, go to amazingnevin.com. Our staff is doing really great work today, putting out all sorts of information about this trade. We've got stuff coming out over the next couple of days all about the trade, about who the Mets gave up, who the Mets got, everything in between. So go to amazingnevin.com. You can also follow Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can find this show on Spotify, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us quite a bit. Uh, Chris is on Twitter, at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And um, maybe we'll have to do another emergency podcast soon if the Mets make another big splash. But if they don't, we'll return in two weeks. And until then, let's go Mets.